Because here's what happens. People make this emotional decisions on yeah, how they absolutely. feel. They need to make decisions on accurate data. But it became to a point where I just couldn't do any more. He, he's driving truck all week and managing on the weekends. <laughs> I'm dispatching all day and doing maintenance in the evenings yeah. and weekends. And we just couldn't do it anymore. Is this resonating anyone? Yeah, and I don't know if anyone's ever felt that way in business before, but that's where we were. Okay, welcome to the Built to Lead podcast, where we try and share with you tactical business advice and strategies to grow your business and your leadership. Um, this is me, Jory Evans, and Tyler Wall. Hello, hello. We are uh, going to talk today about duplication, growing your business, and getting out of the job and getting into the ownership chair yeah. of your business. I'm excited. Uh, I just have a plug about mm -hmm. the podcast. I I have some friends that own businesses, and they have a lot of issues in their business. And so I've had long, long conversations with them. Uh, and I'm not a business owner. And I, well, I, had, I own a business, but I don't really do anything with it. It's like an off the side of the desk business. Anyway. Um, I had long conversations with them and everything they're talking about, we are answering with this podcast. I mean, mm -hmm. you're answering Absolutely. it. I'm just kind of like asking questions, but because I'm involved in the podcast, I'm learning a lot and I'm actually giving them advice and saying, okay, here's some advice. Now go listen to the podcast where you're going to get the real good advice and not my like hacked, you know, secondhand Versions. information. This is a little more polished and direct. Yes. What they're looking for. Yeah. So this topic is one that is really, I think, really important because a lot of business owners I talk to, and I do talk to a lot of business owners, the struggles that they have, the frustrations that they're up against, and the things that often they just don't know how to overcome. This is this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, there's a lot of small businesses, solopreneurs, yeah. businesses that are like sub a million mm -hmm. um, revenue or one, two employees or just one guy um, that they're frustrated. They don't know how to overcome the next step. Um, and they're just, you know, they, they have the work, they're busy, things are going well for them as an individual, but that just leads them into working 12 hour days and 14 hour days and 16 hour days and then Saturdays. And then, and they just keep pushing and pushing, but they don't know how to get out of that rhythm. You yeah. know, how to do, how do I know I can hire another person? How do I know that it's going to be enough? I'm afraid to, to move ahead. Um, but I know things are going good and I know this could be more, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a good problem. They're like, they get into the business because they're like, oh, I see that there's a gap here. Their instincts are right. And then they, they're successful. And yeah. they're like, oh, I'm successful. This is amazing. Yeah. And I started this business and I knew it was a good idea, but now what? Yeah. And, right. then, and then they get too busy and then they're working well, all these hours. The problem compounds because the busier that they are, the less time they have to think about it or work. Like they're just exhausted and, yeah. and doing the operations. And technically, as a technician, they're excellent at what they do. But when it gets into the minutia of the actual business, right. they get lost and they don't know what, what steps they need to take to, to, like, to move out of where they are. Right? Yeah. And so that's why I want to get into it. Um, so the what, the what is duplication, growing your business, and getting out of the job and into an owner chair. Um, the, the question I most often get, the one that we're trying to answer today is, how do I stop working in the business and start working on the business? Mm. Right? Right. So. Do you find that there's a time where a business owner is actually okay not growing the business? And they're actually just like, oh, no, I don't really care to grow the business. I just want a paycheck. 
sometimes people have moved into that because they just want the freedom of controlling their own schedules. Um, and sometimes they make a little more money doing it for themselves. Um, but if they're really good at it, the, they kind of get pushed into a scenario most often where they're doing more and they're doing more and they have more because yeah. they want to serve their customers. Yeah. The, the business is the customer base that you have. And as the base gets bigger, if you are really good at what you do, it's going to push you to grow because more people are going to want more and they're going to want yeah. more and they're going to want more. Um, and there, there's ways to keep it small if you want to. If you want to just be you, you can do it. But the reality is you never get the freedom that comes with the true freedom that comes with owning your own business. Right. Right. Where the business, which is why to, it's a machine. It's supposed yeah. to make you money when you're not working. Yeah. Which is, I think that's the reason why a lot of people start a business. Cause they're like, I want freedom. Mm -hmm. I want more money. I want more freedom. Yeah. What's true freedom though. Like the, if, if you become a slave to your customer and to you, like you are your own boss, but yeah. now you are a slave driver to yourself. You haven't really gained in the end. And, and I, the statistic, and I think I've already quoted on this podcast, is, is that 96% of businesses fail in the first 10 years. I think 80% fail or 75 or 80% fail in the first five years. But And the reason for that is that this, this overarching pressure that keeps coming on the business owners, they go out on their own, they do really good, they start making a little money and things are going good, but then more comes and more comes and they take on more and they take on more and they take on more and then the year end comes and then they need to do their books mm. and then they all they got to do that as well and then they got to get meet with their accountant and they got to do this and then there's some sort of red tape from the government. Oh, I don't have this certification that I need. So now I'm going to have to go register for this and I, oh, I, I didn't know I had to do that too. So then they have to take the, and more and more and more comes on until it becomes overwhelming. And either they want, either they just work harder and harder and harder and harder until they grind themselves into the ground or else they quit because I, I never wanted this. Oh yeah. That's a very common experience of a, of a business owner is, is that they get in and they get doing, and, and technically they're very good at what they do. But when the business side of it starts to become overwhelming and too much and the pressure becomes too much, they don't know how to manage, organize and delegate those things out so that they can keep stepping it up into the next levels that it needs to go. Right. Which kind of comes to like what we're talking about, like duplication, duplication, like how do you duplicate yourself? How do right. you buy your own time back? Yeah. How do you, continue to scale your business in a way that doesn't just crush you because it's more and more and more and more and more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. And that seems like it's, it's, it's very important for you to grow your business is to actually be able to, to, to create a clone, not even not so much a clone of yourself, but somebody who can take a lot of those tasks on. Right. Yeah. Well, and then this is, there's a whole nother level of breaking this down, which I don't really want to get into, but just basically it's like, how do you do the jobs that you want to do? and not the jobs that you don't want to do. And how do you do the jobs that you're good at rather than the ones you're not good at and then hire people to do the jobs that you're not good at or that you don't want to do, but find people who actually love to do the things you don't want to do and create that yin and yang kind of scenario where where you're weak or where the things that just mm -hmm. aren't your specialty or your passion come into play. And they are, there are many, many things like that in your business that you're gonna have to deal with, um, but there's people that like doing those things can be hard to believe because you don't necessarily relate with those people. But when you find those people and you add them into your organization, it's like yeah. heaven on earth because the things that you hate doing, they love doing and it clicks together and things just function and work well. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so that is, a big part of that is hiring the right people. So I guess we got to get into how do we do it? What do we do 
to duplicate and to move our business? How do we go from when I started one to two million dollars in revenue to now surpassing over 50 million between our mm-hmm. three organizations, right? How does that step up one step at a time? Because that doesn't just happen overnight, right? You don't have three people and then have 120 people, right? Right. It, it takes, I had to like for, for two decades, I've had to learn all of these skills of how to build teams, how to find the right people, how to take the emotions out of um, things that require data and quantification right. and um, really get this all figured out, organized and systematized in a way that doesn't just crush me. Because as you step up each stage, you get to a point where the business is crushing you as the leader, as the owner. Right. And you have to figure out how to get out, out from under that crushing thing and fix the problem. So you, you used like a $6 word there, quantification. Quantification. That, that I don't know, it, it's kind of, that's a kind of word that I kind of know what it means, but it's, it's nebulous in certain ways as like i'm not really sure what that means what is what does quantification mean in in terms of business and in terms of business duplicating your business yeah duplicating quantificating all (laughs) these type of big words right yeah so really it's data and accurate data and data that's going to help you and in order to get that data you need to quantify which means figuring out the values of things how much how many at what frequency what percentage like all of the accounting kind of aspects of your business yeah yeah you need to put those you need to take your accounting principles and things that you ought to be doing um anything that you're counting not accounting but accounting accounting for um needs to be structured in a way that speaks to you to make good decisions if you're not using your accounting or accounting for all the number and measurable things within your business and using that data to make decisions you're not doing you're not being a good entrepreneur right right so i'm an analytical person um just at heart i love the numbers i love digging into i love quantifying and i always have and that's helped me greatly in growing our businesses but i find many operators and technicians they hate the numbers they hate the meetings, they hate right. the accounting, the bookkeeping, all of that, they hate it. And I get it, I do understand why. It's just, it's like a, a frustrating thing that's like, why do I have to figure this out? Why can't I just go turn the wrench? Why can't I go drive yeah. the truck? Why can't I go build the building? I just, I just wanna, wanna have the fun I just stuff. wanna do the work. I'm yeah. good at the work, okay? But but if you don't price your stuff right, if you don't run efficiently, if you don't figure out where your time's going, if you don't figure out the smallest base unit that you need to get to and to duplicate to scale up your business you can work yourself to bankruptcy yeah and many businesses do you can be the doing the best job in the world if you price it wrong you'll go under (laughs) if you don't understand how to do cash flow you'll fail right so at the end of the day you do need to build these skills and it starts by measuring and quantifying things early on yeah right so here's what happens in quantification i'm gonna i'm gonna get into three things here I've already explained what quantification is. Proving the model is something I'm going to talk about. And then I'm going to get into breaking things down to the smallest unit. Proving the model is if you were going to franchise your business, mm-hmm. if you had to build your business over and over and over again. Right, like McDonald's. or Like a McDonald's Wendy's or, or a Wendy's or a car home dealership hardware. or a home hardware or whatever. Right. What, how would, what would you tell the person doing the thing so that they could go do it just like you do it wherever they're doing it right basically you're telling them all the problems that you've already solved yeah this is how you've you've well, solved what's the model what are the yeah. rules 
like if, if I have to come in and operate your business, what rules do you have to make sure that you price your product right? What rules do you have to make sure your customer experience is good? What rules do you have for how much time you spend on this or that or whatever, or what things need to do be done in what order? Yeah. Right. Well, there's a reason for all those things and you need to break your company down into the standard operating procedures of how things are right. done. Right. So if you don't have a standard operating procedure, there's probably no realistic measurable of efficiency. You can't tell how efficiently you complete a job, how quickly you do or how not, right? In in our um, mechanic business, we would uh, we started out by just pricing it on feel. So it's like, okay, well, that job should take this long. Well, I have an expert mechanic leading the show. He's my service manager. He's a mechanic for 20 years. He knows how long it takes to do jobs. So you say, well, it's this many um, hours to do that job and it's this many hours to do that job and it should take roughly this much time well then when uh, th- we start having more mechanics and they start doing the jobs he's going well that guy's like th- we were averaging a 50 percent um huh. efficiency rate hours billed to hours um clocked to right. our mechanics okay, i can't figure out why this is well, we're emotionally pricing it. Well, yeah. he happens to be one of the best technicians in 100 miles from here. And if he can do it faster than anyone else in here, it's not a duplicatable right. number. Yeah. Right. And how long do I feel like it should take? Well, even when he would say, well, that should be a two-hour job, he'd struggle to do it. So it would take two and a half or three. Well, I didn't count the time it takes to bring the truck in the shop. And I didn't yeah. count cleaning up after the job. And I didn't count organizing the parts and going and getting the parts and bringing them back. And yeah. I didn't figure any of that in. It's just like if I'm in my mind, I'm, it takes two hours. Yeah. Right. Well, we've all been in that, oh, it's going to be two hours. <laughs> and then four or five hours later, we get back situation. Right. Yeah. Well, if you price your business that way, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a 50% margin. You're not going to be able to make any money because it's not your customer's fault that you're not pricing your product correctly, right? Yeah. So getting into that emotional way of doing things, that's not quantifying. Yeah. That's what that is. You're just not quantifying it. Well, how long does it actually take? Well, once you start collecting the data on how long it takes, if I go, okay, we've done 10 transmission repairs and they took on average five hours on 10 different guys. Yep or one guy doing it 10 times, then I can start quantifying that and going, okay, I need to price it this way. But then what efficiency do I need to get on my mechanic to pay for my shop floor, to pay for my tools, my supplies? Like I need to have all this stuff figured out yeah. and I need to prove the model. Okay? And you need, so you need to be tracking it. You need, yeah, you everything just... needs to be measured, everything needs to be tracked and everything needs to come together. Your data needs to be collected yeah. and proved to prove your model. Okay, so that's proving the model. You need to create a, an, a standard operating procedure that you can take and go, okay, I can price this and I can go from there. Okay, yep. so in order to do that, you need to figure out how to measure your business to the smallest possible unit, right? So getting into that, there's, I'm going to give you three examples, two okay. that I know and one that I'm just totally spitballing at. Okay. One is trucking. So in trucking, our smallest measurable unit that we go to is the mile. So for every one mile our truck drive, and each truck drives between 10 and 12,000 miles a month and then times that by 60, 70 trucks at the, now and yeah. in the future, 80, 100, whatever. It doesn't actually matter once you go down to the mile, right? Some people might go down to the truck. So wait, they wait, break it. wouldn't a kilometer be smaller than a mile? Uh, a kilometer would be smaller than a mile, but the mile. <laughs> Funny guy. Uh, yeah, sorry. Very good, Tyler. <laughs> Break my train of thought. Sorry. Um, 
So we use the mile. We do a lot of stuff in the United States. The majority of our stuff is interstate um, between the states and Canada. And so the because they're a bigger economy, right. we talk in mile. It's been yeah, that way. Yeah, makes sense. The trucking was based on the mile even in Canada back in the 70s, 80s, yeah. 90s, before the kilometer became popular anyway. So that's the mile is the break, the breaking point that we break yeah. it down to. You could break it down to per truck, but then now it becomes very mm. nuanced again by what's different about that truck, what is different about that driver, what is different about what that truck did for work to this trip. You could break it down per trip. It introduces more variables. Yeah, you have more variables. Well, when I go by the mile, there's only so many variables that I can break down in a singular mile, right? And yes, there's always gonna be nuance, but what's the smallest thing I can break into? So you're trying to break it down to the smallest possible integer with the fewest amount of variables. Yeah. Involved. Ideally, but more importantly, the smallest, yeah. right? Because if if I do one mile or if I do 500,000 miles, which is about what we're doing as a company a month right now, yeah. now I can adjust my expenses and my revenues to those statistics. It's a scalable model. Yeah. So if I get the smallest possible unit, I could scale that to 10 million miles a month for what it comes to, right. as long as my numbers are correct at that baseline yeah right so for example when we break down our mile we go okay what is our maintenance cost per mile and we quantify that and we check that weekly monthly annually and we are constantly watching and adjusting that what does it cost for me to run fuel per mile how much fuel do we burn every single mile on average so then we take our trucks individual fuel mileages we average our fleet fuel mileage we average our fleet fuel cost and we calculate that weekly so that Mm -hmm. we know what it's costing how much do we pay our drivers per mile what does it cost per mile to run the driver up there? What is the truck cost per mile? And that's payments, that's depreciation, that's interest. What is uh, the overhead of the company costing the truck per mile? So we have a dispatch office. That office has to be there in order for them to operate. So what is that cost per mile to do that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we break down each of these things. And there's, there's a few more. And there's things that we segregate out, maybe like tires, insurance and registration, permits and tolls. Like we break all those things down into per mile. So you might have eight to 10 breaks. But then we get a total expense cost of what it costs us to operate per mile. Right? Yeah. And so when we, and then we would take it like an average truck in a month. And we go, okay, well, if our fleet's averaging 10,000 miles a month per truck, then we can use that as a baseline of what we can expect or spend. So we use it to budget looking forward and we use it to project and price our individual clients. So from that per mile, we create a benchmark that we want to be here and this is how much we want to make in profit, give or take, on our unit. And then I can give that to my employees. It's like, okay, this is how you price. I need you to price at $3 and 30 cents a mile. So when you run around her and a customer is asking for a product, yeah, there might be some under other variables, but this is where we got to be. This yeah. is the bottom. If we do it for less than this, we're going to lose money and everything from here up to here is potential profit, but this is where I want you to be. Right. Okay. So yeah. now I can add one truck, two truck, three truck, four truck, five truck. And as long as there's work for those trucks, I know whether they're making money or not yeah. off of that unit. So now I'm not afraid to add another truck. So if I had another truck tomorrow and I know what that truck costs per mile to operate, I know what the driver costs per mile, I know what the fuel, I know all these variables, then I know that if I get it out there and I get it at this dollar per mile and I can do that, that it's going to make be making money. money. Yep. Right. And it's oversimplifying something, but that's right. how it works. Now let's go into the heavy duty mechanic shop. We break that down by the hour in the mechanic shop. Some people might do it another way, but 
Basically, we go, there's a certain number of available hours per mechanic. There's an efficiency that we expect to make on each mechanic. And then there's a amount of parts we typically sell on average per hour of shop time that goes in there. Right. So when I hire, okay. when I go, should we hire another mechanic? Yeah, we're so busy. We got so much work right now. I could totally put in another man to work. Okay. So I know if we pay that man this much, this is how much the space costs for him of shop floor space. This is how much his supplies cost. This is how much parts we're going to sell. And this is the margin that we're going to make on those. Well, I know if he's at $150 an hour at 80% efficiency, which is an yep. average that I have from over the year, then I know if he comes in and works 180 hours this month, I'm going to get this many hours billed and that's going to translate to this many parts sales and I can break it all down. And I know right. I'm yep. very confident to hire another guy in Adam because I know that if I had him and I've proven the model, the model of the truck or the model of the mechanic or the model of the whatever yep. that I can keep scaling and duplicating. I'm franchising that model. Right. So now whenever I add a new mechanic, I'm going stamp, do it again, stamp, do it again, stamp, do it again. Right. Right. And that is what a lot of other businesses are not doing is they're not breaking it down to the smallest unit so that they can have confidence when they need to hire a new employee, when they need to buy another piece of equipment, when they need to um, take on more. They haven't got a model to say, right. I know that this is going to work and, right. and have faith in the numbers and in themselves to start scaling up their business. Yeah. That's what they need to do. And when I say quantify, that's what I mean. Okay. Third yeah. one, for example, restaurants. Never owned a restaurant. Don't have a clue. A couple of friends that own restaurants. Talk to them often. I think basically with a restaurant, what you want to do is potentially break it down either by, by customer interaction or by ticket sale. Right. right. So if, if the average customer comes in, they sit down, their ticket's 100 bucks for the night. Couple comes in, has dinner. This is how much... The plate costs, this is how much the server costs to serve them. This is how much yeah. the floor costs for them to be in this space. This is how much we turn them over. And so we need to get this many tickets per night. Our average ticket is a hundred bucks. And then we, so we need to have a hundred people come through here. Can we turn a hundred three people through this space per day? What's maximum yeah. capacity? How much capacity percentage are we typically filling? And then what are we making per ticket? And how do we make that profit? What yeah. is our overhead costs? What of our, you know, advertising, marketing, everything yeah. else that goes into that? How do you break that down per ticket somehow, right? And that actually, all having all that stuff actually informs like the server. Okay, servers, you should be visiting this person five times during yeah. a seating. So now, you, you know, and you should be going to them and getting them out, mm -hmm. getting them out by an X amount of time. So go ask them. You don't, you don't shoot them out, but you ask them. Yeah. Well, and then how the bill and things like from that. From knowing that small unit number, you can work on becoming more efficient or at least you'll be able to quantify how efficient you are. Yeah. Right? If we believe that our average customer stays here for, for 60 minutes from the time they enter the door until they leave, and then we have this many seats and this many tables and, right. and you know, like you can maybe break it down by customer. So when you see the table of five, like that might even be smaller in my mind. You see the table of five, there's this many customers on that ticket. So we actually had a hundred head through go through here tonight or 200 head go through here tonight, right? And the average plate, like yeah. I, I would be tempted more to break it down per plate. Now thinking about it is like, okay, per individual plate order. And I don't know if you call that a ticket, but I'm not yeah. talking per receipt. I'm talking per individual plate. Right. Yeah. This plate makes me this much money. This plate makes me this much money. And one server can serve this many people per hour. 
and then you know how many servers you can afford and you can know the maximum capacity of your yeah. restaurant and go on from there. So if you're like, I think a lot of restaurant owners would, they just open the restaurant, they have this many seats, they know that they make really good food and their experience is really nice and then they hope for the best. Yeah. Like it's scared, <laughs> it scares the death out of me to think that way, but I think that is actually a lot more common way of attacking yeah. it than most people think. And I'm going, I can't even imagine going into a, a restaurant business without quantifying all that and having some numbers in my head before. I might be completely naive when yeah. I go into that, but if I start quantifying it from day one, my data is going to get more and more and more and more accurate yeah. the further in that we go. And yeah. then as I get more and more data, I can make my decisions because here's what happens. People make dis emotional decisions on yeah, how they absolutely. feel. They need to make decisions on accurate data. I need that data to speak to me and say, no, you can't get 200 people through here at night. We were smashed as busy as we can ever be. And we got 180 through here. That's the best night we've ever had. Okay. So that's the new bar. Yep. And maybe you can, maybe we need to shift the tables around. Maybe we need to get servers turning people over faster. Maybe the kitchen needs to be quicker, maybe, like whatever that be, but you need to get the data so that you can look at it and go, how do I improve this situation? Yeah. How can I make this more efficient? How can I cut the cost per plate? Right? Hey, we've got, extra this left over every night at the end of the day. Well, every night we've had a half of this that we've thrown out. Well, that's costing this much. Well, we need to make this much less. Well, we need, how much prime rib do we need on average? Well, on Saturday nights, we need this much. And on Friday nights, we need this much. And on Tuesdays, yeah. we need this much. And then you can cut your efficiencies back and then right. you can improve your cost. But how do you know without measuring? Yeah, it, it you have to be gathering something. Yeah. You just to don't. make an informed decision, you need going information. with your gut <laughs> does not work in this case. I'm not saying that you can't make it for a long time or get away with it. You know, some businesses are very yep. profitable and do very well. A lot of restaurants do very well without quantifying until shit hits the fan, until things aren't going right, and you don't know why they're not going right. Or right? until they want a franchise. Yeah, or, well, this is doing great. They open the second location and they don't know what made the first location successful in the first place. Yeah. And the second one tanks and takes them both out. Yeah. Like the, you need to know not just what what's going wrong and why and how to fix it. You need to know what's going right and how to duplicate it. Yeah, exactly. Right? So what I can almost imagine business, some business owners who might be listening just kind of rolling their eyes and going, well, oh, I just... I really like, let's use a restaurant. I just, I'm a really good cook and I love cooking things. Mm -hmm. Can I just please cook? Yeah. Like, like what, <laughs> how do you, what do you tell them? What do you say to a person like that? Say, you, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a lot of things they can say. Um, I question why you got into business in the first place. If you just want to do the operation, then you should get paid the highest possible that you can to do that job for somebody else and stick to that. Or if you're gonna get into business and you are gonna look for the freedom, because if you just wanna cook and that's what you're gonna do forever, that's great. Yeah. I'm happy, but then there's no point owning the business. The business is supposed to free you from that ultimately so that you right. don't have to do that. Or I guess if you love it, then you better find a partner or hire someone who can analyze your business and do what I just said to quantify it for you. If you get a really good accountant, which is really hard to find and and a rare scenario that will actually dive into your business at this level, they can help you get there. They can quantify it for you. 
but they actually have to learn the nuances and the particulars and the passion for your specific business. Because right. they're not a subject matter expert. They don't. No, they they actually don't understand the nuance and the and the little finite things that that they're going to say. Well, you need to cut your costs here, and you go. Well, if I cut my costs there, that's going to ruin my customer experience, and that's going to kill the mojo of my business. Yeah. You know that as the owner, they don't as the accountant, right? right? And they sometimes have some good ideas, but at the end of the day, they they they're not in like they're not in it enough to understand most of the time. There right. are some. If you can find one that is an expert in restaurants, or an expert in trucking, or an expert in this, then you're going to get some pretty in, good intel typically, yeah. and they're going to give you examples from other people that they've worked with and what they've done and not done that has worked and not worked and they can provide you some hope there but someone needs to be analyzing it and if you're not going to be the one doing it then you certainly need to be hiring someone to do it right exactly what's some practical advice how do, how do they start quantifying like let's say a meat cutting business a meat cutting business yeah mm-hmm. this may be one of the people that I talk to <laughs> true <laughs> <laughs> um well, I would say there's an African proverb that I like that I think is important for this is that, okay. and, and that is, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. Um, and this, With an accountant. <laughs> with an accountant. <laughs> if you want to go far, go <laughs> That's funny. Um, but this is what it comes down to is that as a, as a solopreneur or an entrepreneur with like just a small team or whatever, if you want to do something big, you cannot do it by yourself. You know, no one person. I certainly am not the be all and end all of our business. The, our business exists right full of awesome people with extremely different talents and skills than I have. Mm-hmm. I've just gotten all those people together over time and built teams that were extremely effective. I am not the best at accounting. I'm really good at looking at the information and getting pulling the issues out of it and figuring out how to attack it. But do you want me to uh, accumulate that info and chart it and get yeah. it out? Can I can do it. And I have done it in the years when I didn't have that accountant thing. But I'll tell you what, the people that do it for me now are a heck of a lot better than than I ever was. So you have to... You, you, as a business owner, you have to have a good understanding, a good general understanding of all the operating parts of your business. You may not be the expert in an area. This is what I'm hearing you say. So I guess you need to, you do need to understand what you need, but you don't need to understand how to do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how to do it comes down to the expert who's good at that and yeah. especially how to do it when you're not good at it or you don't like it. Right. Ooh, if you're not good yeah. at it and you don't like it, Chances are you're never going to do a really good job of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or if you do it at all. <laughs> if you do. And most times you just procrastinate and don't do it at all. And then that just becomes a liability within your business. Yeah. Right. So what you need to do is to be able to bring the right people into your business that have those skill sets that can bring that value in that you're not doing. You need to you need to hire out and buy back that particular part so that that part is also excellently done in your business. Mm-hmm. Right. And that. Like getting that data, quantifying it, whether you're able to do it or whether you get someone else to do it for you, you need that information in your hand to make the decisions that you need to make, right? Right, People are incredibly, like most of the people that I talk to that need to hire someone desperately are deathly afraid of hiring them. And that's for two reasons. One, they're scared of hiring the wrong person or they don't believe the right person is out there. They've either 
come become jaded with humans, which I totally understand, <laughs> right? Or they've been burned by someone and they don't ever want to do that again. Hence the, I'm never going to hire another employee. I hate that. I yeah. had a couple employees and that was the worst thing. They're just the most horrible, blah, blah, blah. Like they got the wrong people. And then they didn't believe that there ever was the right people out there. Right. Right. So that's a big part of it. And then the other part of that they're afraid of is running out of work and not having enough money. And going, okay, well, I can work 14 hours a day and make the same money that I make if I work eight hours a day. And that's just my personal loss is no big deal. Like I can put up with that. I don't like it, but I'll put up with it when things don't go well. Right. But if I hire someone and they work 14 hours, I got to pay them for 14 hours. And if the money ain't there, they ain't staying, then I'm screwed. Right. And I'm too scared of that risk. And it is a real risk. Like if you hire the wrong person, they're going to do eight hours work in 14 hours. And if you're paying them a good wage for what they're doing and you've done what it takes to get the person into that place and they screw Hmm. you over, you're going to have some struggles. Right. So I get the sense you have an example. (laughs) Do you know that you've been through this before? Yes. I've, I've been through it multiple times, but the, the reality is, um, Okay, I'll, the story I've got with this is back when, um, in the early days of Evans Trucking, when it was just Evans Trucking, um, I dispatched. So I started out dispatching in Evans Trucking. I dispatched for 10 years um, by the time I, I got, actually got out of that wow. chair. And in the process um, of growing the business, you know, I, I did that. I was our maintenance manager, our customs manager. I wore all the hats. So I got yep. all the different hats on. I do all the different jobs and we're at seven trucks then we're at 10 trucks. Then we're at 12 trucks. Then we're at 15 trucks. And I, I'm just, I'm working 300 hours a month. I, I'm right where many business owners are. You, you know, I'm in the right. office at six o'clock in the morning. I very nicely. I also had multiple infant, small children at the time <laughs> and was not sleeping the greatest and neither was my poor wife, but six o'clock in the morning, I'm in the office six o'clock and i'd literally not leave my chair not go for lunch not nothing 6 p.m wrap it up go home have dinner change go back to the shop now i work till eight to midnight one two o'clock in the morning sometimes changing tires fixing lights getting trucks prepped uh putting a headache rack on all the basic stuff that we needed to do because we just that's what was needed and there was no one else to do it but me Right. My dad at the time was driving truck. He's one of our drivers. We needed him to be doing that because we were having a hard time finding drivers to do that job. He needed the income. I needed yeah. the income. So we both worked like dogs to get it done. Right. But it became to a point where I just couldn't do any more. He, he's driving truck all week and managing on the weekends. <laughs> I'm dispatching all day and doing maintenance in the evenings yeah. and weekends. And we just couldn't do it anymore. Is this resonating anyone? Yeah. And I don't know if anyone's ever felt that way in business before, but that's where we were. So the reason I talk about this is because I did it. <laughs> I yeah. know exactly what it feels like, right? And so hire another d- dispatcher person. Bring right. them in. They start, they learn customs. Yeah. They start learning dispatching, you know, about a year into that. You, they start getting, you know, knowing what they're talking about, starting to understand the thing. And at this point, I'm desperate to move into a management position. I'm desperate to get out of the dispatching chair. I, I'm desperate to not be on call all the time forever, right? Right. And so- I do what many business owners do. I go, hey, you're you're moving along really nicely. Here's this responsibility and this responsibility and this responsibility, and I abdicate. Yeah. You're dispatched now. You know, at that time, I think we had two people, so we had a dispatcher and a customs person. 
there's two people kind of managing the job and I go, okay, you know, you're smart enough. You know what you're doing. You're now going to price all the loads and you're going to talk to all the drivers and deal with all their gripes. You're, you're going to, I think we had a maintenance manager as well. So you're going to direct everyone to the maintenance manager. So I think three people I had to do the job that I was doing. I'm like, well, three people are doing what I used to do. So yeah, this should be that should be enough manpower for them. They got it. It's fine. They all been doing it for less than a year, but you know, so off I go. I'm Mr. Big Manager now. It's great. I can just, yeah. you know, I can deal with hiring some drivers. I can deal with, you know, buying trucks and I can deal with like the the big working on the business type stuff. Yeah. Right. They weren't ready. They, I hadn't taught them enough. I hadn't spent enough time with them. I wasn't supporting them enough. I was just so desperate to get out that I abdicated. Right. And I still was there eight to five Monday to Friday yeah. and more than that. And I was around and dealing with problems and stuff, but they, they didn't have what it took to do the job and or in my opinion at that time they weren't the right personality and they weren't the right fit for those positions necessarily i just hired the, the first person i could get that could do the job slammed them into the job and yep. you know and they got by and did okay with it but it wasn't necessarily their passion it wasn't necessarily their skill set it wasn't necessarily their personality type so fast forward i can't remember how long it was if it was three months or six months or whatever um the guy that I had put into lead dispatch is literally being crushed to death by the job because that's what that job does to you. Yeah. You're on call all the time. There's problems constantly. You, there's stress. There's pricing. There's things that aren't working right. There's The, the problems yeah. just abound, right? And he's got a year's experience. I got eight or nine. And I, I'm probably just barely qualified to handle all that stuff. It's <laughs> nine years experience. Yeah. And uh, and he starts getting burnt out very quickly. He, you know, there's this point where when you get overwhelmed constantly, you just get to this mindset where you just don't care anymore. All I can do is just go, I'm, I'm done. F this. Yeah. Basically. And and he got there to that point, And then his attitude, attitude started mm. to deteriorate. And things went downhill and went downhill to the point where he starts snapping on drivers and treating people not the way that he ought, that our right. company treats people. He starts making this split easy decision. He's not working to get the right load or the right schedule, the right timing. He's just taking the quickest easy thing, slamming it together just so he can get it done because yeah. he just can't deal with the stress, right? So gets to this point, we've talked to him, you know, I need you to do this, I need you to get better at this, I need you to do that, I need you to do this, and it just it isn't working. So we have right. to fire him. You got to understand too, I didn't say this yet, but this guy was one, a very close family friend when oh. we hired him. So my wife and his wife, best buds, hanging out all the time. We have kids the same age, went to church together, um, you know. And so th this, as this deteriorates, you also don't get, um, I guess, candid about what's going on and what needs to happen. Um, I'm immature in my leadership and in my management, and it's a friend, so I don't know how to breach these subjects. And so it deteriorates and deteriorates to the point where basically we were at no point. No, we had felt anyways at the time we had no choice but to fire him. We're not in a financial position to, right. to just move people around and have multiple extra positions and everything's tight. Every decision counts and it's, it's a battle, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, this guy ain't working. He's costing us lots of money with the decisions that he's making and he's got to go right so of course without you know enough corrective action and enough support and enough care and leadership we pull the plug you're not doing a good job you've done this 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 and this and that's not good enough and you're out yeah that's a tough call hey right and this is a live and learn scenario for me because um we did it very poorly in my mind um at the time 
and and again since that since that happening um you know that friendship broke down and was in a really rough spot for a couple of years and actually a few years later we had reconciliation he actually came back and worked for us in a different position when we were a little bit bigger and had different roles right Um, because he had he was a good he was a right fit culturally for our company he was a, a right fit for a specific job but we put him in he we put a square peg in a round hole right. and expected it to work yeah. right it wasn't his skill set it wasn't his personality it wasn't his passion he wasn't in the right place he didn't have enough support he didn't have enough experience and enough time all these things which is ultimately my fault as a leader right yeah. and so in all that i learned a lot but this is and and so we let him go and then i had to go back into that role and i had to take on two multiple jobs that i wasn't doing before and i hated it and mm-hmm. and it was tumultuous it was painful and it caused our our equipment manager was his uncle and he ended up quitting over it shortly after because of mm-hmm. how it was handled so now i've got three jobs all, almost all three of my jobs back and everything else that i've taken on since <laughs> leaving that position <laughs> and this is the point that many business owners get to and they go screw this i can't count on anybody People suck. Employees suck. No one does it as good as me. And not just that. Like all of the drivers and, and the rest of the company is saying, he doesn't do it as good as you. He doesn't do it as good yeah. as you. He doesn't do it as good as you. And he's put their point in it. And then so you get this narrative in your mind that no one will ever do it as good as I do it. No one will ever try enough. No one will ever care enough. No one can do what I yeah. have to do here. And so a lot of businesses tuck, tuck tail, turtle in, and they get smaller and they just get to that point where it's Okay, I'm going back to when it was just me and I can manage it. And they shrink it down to the size where they can just barely manage it again. Yeah. Right? And then they stay there till they burn out and then they shut down or sell out or whatever right. way that they can get to escape it. Right? So that's my experience. That's how I know the intimate. This pain of how painful emotionally that was for me, that was for that employee of ours, for other employees that got caught in the crossfire, for our family, our reputation, right. everything that went down at that time, it was horrible and painful and horrific, right? Uh, and that is a, not an uncommon experience amongst entrepreneurs trying to grow through that stage of their business, right? Yeah. So moral, all of that story to say, the moral of the story is you need to hire right. Right. Right? You need to hire the right person for the job, the person who has the right skill set. And how do you hire right? Go back to podcast one and two. You need to get your core values figured out. We didn't have core values back then. You need to get your mission figured out. We didn't have a mission back then. Mm -hmm. We need to get your vision for your company figured out. All I knew is that I was growing this business and I'm just, we're just going headlong and it's just grow, 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 grow. I didn't know why. Yeah. I didn't know the purpose behind it. I didn't share the vision with the employees that that particular employee didn't understand the vision that our company had. He just had the attack of the day-to-day problems that he didn't have the engagement and the connection for what we did things. He didn't see the vision so that he could operate through our core values and our mission and our vision of how he dealt with things. I didn't teach him that. I didn't lead him into it. And so I didn't set him or myself up for success by doing it that way. Yeah. Right. So he was feeling his way around in, in a way. In the dark. Uh, yeah, in the dark, kind of like, well, I might as well just give up on this and just I'm just going to do the easiest thing because I don't really understand what, what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, and maybe he, from a, from a maybe leading by example, somewhat would understand what I would want, but you always, as a leader, just assume everyone else knows that everything yeah. you have in your brain, Yeah. right? They don't know unless you've told them, and probably at least seven to ten times that you've told them, they don't know, Yeah. right? And that's a big mistake that that leaders and business owners make. 
is that they just assume that they're just going to hire this random person off the street and they're going to come in and they're going to solve all their problems. And when things start going sideways, they don't understand why or yep. what they need to do different. And, and it ends up that that person either leaves disgruntled or you have to fire them. And then from there, yeah. Now what? That can't, hurt. Can't that read sucked. Your mind. I ain't doing that again. Right. <laughs> so the salute, the solution is core values, vision, and you got to hire right. Like it, it is never more important. It's always important, but it's extremely important on your first, second, third hires. When you're the startup small company, you got to get the right people. Yeah. How? So how do you, that's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to hire right. Yeah. How do you know that you've hired right? How do you, how do you, how do you evaluate someone? How do you evaluate? How did you evaluate uh, after that, you know, debacle? Um, How did you move forward? Like I, I still think I didn't do it well for quite a while after that. You know, I, I read a lot more books on leadership. I read a lot more books on personality types, on body language, on reading people, on core values. On And, and it was after that time um, in the next two to three years when we really started to get our mission statement, get our vision distilled get our core values written down and start mm-hmm. communicating them to our people when we bring them in and starting to look for people that fit those core values at that time, right? And and in that case, this person was not a not core values fit. They were a core values fit. It was actually that they were just not the right personality type for that particular role okay. and they weren't given enough training and support and leadership. So I had to change as a leader, I had to become better before I could bring someone on right. um, and give them what they needed to succeed. And I've heard you say this before, the right person, the wrong seat. Yeah, you can have, he was the right person, he was in the wrong seat, Okay, right? And so you gotta look at that scenario and go, is this person the right fit for this particular job? From a personality thing, we talk about fit when we bring people in now, a lot of the time it's like, okay, that person has the right skill set and they, they meet our core values, but their personality and like just their personality it's not their skill set they can do the job there's a lot of jobs it's like anybody could do that job mm-hmm. physically yeah but will their person will they like doing that job will they be passionate about it will they want to come to work each day to do that job right you can get a pretty good like you should be able to discern that from someone when you hire them and know that they're yeah. going to like this job they're not that's part of the interview process are they going to like this job are they the right personality to work in that team I've put people in the wrong, like this person's great and it totally makes sense for that role, but their personality doesn't fit with that particular team. And then it becomes a stick in the mud situation and then they don't get along with everybody and it hurts the whole team's performance. Right. Where fit, this is what I'm going into fit. I say, does that person fit in that team? Does that mm-hmm. person fit with that particular set of responsibilities? Is that something that they're going to be passionate about, that they're going to engage with, that they're going to be excited to work on? Does it light a fire in them to do that sort of work? right that's yeah. what you need right when you're hiring that first person and it, it and and many times when you're a startup and when you're a new business you don't have big money to wing at people it might be worth it right if you quantify you might figure out well if this person's really good i was thinking i was going to pay them 25 bucks an hour but i could pay them 40 if they can come in here and be efficient and skilled right. and hit it perfect if they're the exact right person i could afford to pay them 40 whereas if you haven't quantified it, you just go, well, I got to start at minimum wage and work from there, or I can yeah. only afford 20, or I can, that you don't know what you can afford. 
Unless you go, okay, well, if I'm bringing in a green person who doesn't know anything about this and they're not going to be efficient up front, yeah, I got to probably start down here because I need to get this much efficiency out of them from day one to at least break even on that employee mm-hmm. as I'm investing in them. Where if you bring in a skilled person who already knows something and can come in and do it as good or better than you on day one, maybe you can pay them more, right? Yeah. Quantification will tell you that answer, yeah. right? And I've quantified that and I know that I can pay guys more and we do. When, when the right guy, like when we headhunt a guy and I'm going, that is the person that I need. They're the right personality. They're the right fit. They have the right skill set. They come with the customer base. They come with connections. They come with all these positives. I know if they come in and they do this, I can afford to pay them this. Yeah. So I'm not afraid. That seems like a ridiculous, crazy salary. How could you afford to offer them that much money? Because I did the math and I know what they're going to bring to the table. Yeah. Right. I quantified it. And so I'm, I don't even hesitate at that point. I know what I can pay. Right. Which may, or t- takes a lot of the mystique out of it. Well, it's it's not like I've had, I've given guys salaries that to me seem like absorbent and insane and my guts are turning on it. But I also can look at the scenario and go, if they do this, this, and this, that's going to translate to this much income, this much profitability, this much value, yeah. whatever. If they can bring that value, then pay them. Yeah. And then you duplicated and and scaled your business. If if you can do if you have this quantification model, whatever this thing is, it's a truck driver, it's a mechanic, it's an accounting person, it's a salesperson, it's a whatever. If they can come in and do this, and I'm sure that they can do that, then pay them. Yeah. Don't miss the opportunity because you're going to do it again and again and again and again. Right. You're just limiting yourself by not doing it over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. Which leads me into another point. This all sounds hunky-dory and this is all really, you know, it sounds like, well, you just X facto, X plus Y equals Z, yeah. right? It's perfect. <laughs> the The thing we're not talking about and the thing, thing I'm assuming when we have this conversation is that you have the work. Right. That you have okay. the market share, right? And this is what I'm saying. When you're the entrepreneur and you've come in and you've built up a really good customer base and you're overwhelmed, you'll obviously have the work, right? If you, if you are just keeping the guys that you have busy with what you have now, you can't just franchise and duplicate your sales isn't coming up to match with right. that right so i i just want to clarify that i'm making that yeah. assumption at that time you right. do have to have the market share and the work and the growth ability and sometimes that, that if you're new to that you might need to figure out what what your market share looks like what is the available size of your market like when they put a new um, mcdonald's in a small town they check what the population is they know quantitatively yeah. This is another quantifying thing. They know quantitatively that if there's 10,000 people in this town, that that in an average town of 10,000, 5% use, use a, a restaurant per month. So that means that we're gonna get 500 people through here per month. And this yep. is how much revenue approximately. And they go, okay, that works. So then they'll they'll put another one there, yep. right? If, I, if I'm doing my mechanic shop and I've got an extra bay open or I've got enough space to add a mechanic I need to quantify, well, that I need 150 hours worth of work for that guy or else he, I need 100 for him to break even. So if I don't have 100 of excess work to move into that, hiring him also will put me at a, a, a negative net to start. Yeah. Right? Which I might be willing to accept if it's a growing, moving process and I see, well, month over month, we're adding this much. This is the thing that I think is going to happen. Here's what's going on in the economy. And so then I can be progressive in that respect. 
or sometimes again when you get to our size you start planning ahead okay it's we're not overly busy now and we can operate now but i know we're going to grow by this much percent and this is how much we've grown year over year for the last five years right. and so i need to preemptively be preparing my staff for that i need to have enough trucks coming i need to be pre-interviewing potential administrative people dispatcher yeah. sales people or well then you can start planning ahead too right yeah it makes it a lot easier to that, plan ahead once you overcome the model now it's 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 getting your rhythm and your planning at the right pace yeah. so that you can move so you can be prepared because what happens is you hire the new guy and then you overwhelm them and then you hire another guy <laughs> and then you overwhelm them that's the typical way yeah. but at a certain point that's not prudent anymore yeah. it limits your speed if if you're moving enough and you've got enough margin and profits and 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 revenues to justify adding someone before the other person gets overwhelmed then you can move way scale way faster if you're hitting that rhythm yeah. at the right time and it's less painful for your whole team right i'm not saying i've even over i haven't <laughs> overcome that because you know we built this this 27,000 square foot facility 3 years ago a little more than 3 years ago and 2 years into moving here we ran out of space and needed more yeah. and, and we'll have, we'll be up and in, in this building a little bit, like our new expansion, which is an additional 23,000 square feet, will only be up um, at at the three and a half year mark from the time we moved in here. Well, I would have never have guessed in a million years that we would have doubled in size in two and a half years. Yeah. Right. But that's what happened. Yeah. So. I, I'm behind the eight ball. My teams are overwhelmed. Each office has three three people in it instead of one. You know, there's there's we're slammed. There's not enough shops. These things do happen. You can't always project all that ahead. Yeah. The economy does what the economy does. If you're really great at customer service and you're providing an excellent product and you're priced well, this is what's gonna happen. Right? Yeah. It's gonna well, come. Yeah. But you also always can't count on it, you know? Yeah. The market so, will do what the market the does. The market sometimes. does, and then it can turn around and go the other way and slap you in the face. So it's it's yeah. not so easy as just this. It's not just X plus Y equals Z, yeah. right? But once you quantify something, it gets pretty close to X plus Y equals yeah. Z, and you can have the confidence at least to move ahead by duplicating yourself and starting the process of duplication. Yeah, and so that sounds like a you know a good a good place to to wrap it up. Yeah, duplicate. Yeah, so like, what's Quantify. the takeaway here? The takeaway for me is that you need to duplicate. Yeah, You cannot go far alone, right? You need yeah. more people and you need to duplicate. And in order to do that, you need to quantify. You need to have your data accurate, figured out, and speaking into you a way that can give you the confidence that you need to move ahead so that you know what the next step right. is. And once you've started duplicating yourself, the more you do that, the more you can back away and work more on the business and less in the business. But until you prove the model, it's too scary to move ahead or you can't yeah. have the confidence or the belief or the faith that it is going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. That's Built to Lead podcast number five. Also ask that uh, if this was valuable to you and that if you liked it, that you would uh, like it. Subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel, our podcasts, yep. and share it with your friends. Yeah, um, share it. There's lots. If of you business know business owners, that, owners that are struggling or in this place, and this can be helpful to them, we really do ask that you share it. Helps get our message out and helps us grow the podcast. Yeah. So, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day.